Thank you, Mark. If you have your Bibles still open to the book of Hebrews, that is where we are going to spend our time this morning. I'm so thankful uh, to Kurt and our worship team, and um, I'm just so thankful that we have a group of people that help us to begin our service and pointing us in the right direction and pointing us to the right things, especially here during this time at Christmas, um, we are here, we celebrate this time of year to celebrate the greatest news ever, that God sent His Son in the flesh. And you know, one of the things that, one of the things that, that kind of hurts my heart, I don't know if that's a southern term, is that a southern term, hurts my heart? Um, feels like a southern term, so I'm just going to say that it is. Uh, But one of the things that hurts my heart is that, you know, this time of year, as we look and as we watch TV and as we read, uh, read magazines and read on the internet these days, that really Jesus has become a a punchline of sorts. That, That really the only time that Jesus is mentioned secularly during this time of year is for some sort of punchline or for some sort of joke. You know, for our culture, the idea of Christmas and celebrating Christmas for many, many, many years has drifted from the celebration of Jesus' birth uh, to a holiday season, which we all long for, where the whole family gets along and we're all cozied around a fire and we're having peace on earth and goodwill towards men. And one of the things that I've noticed is that Sadly, the church has drifted off in these directions as well. Uh, where, where even in many churches, many evangelical churches, the idea of celebrating Christmas uh, becomes more about how to survive the holidays with your in-laws and your outlaws and how to get along with one another than, than really celebrating the birth of our Savior and our King. And so... This Christmas season, I wanted to jump into the book of Hebrews, and one of the reasons I wanted to do this was to recenter you. That the book of Hebrews is a rich, rich book uh, that has this amazing study of Christ, that tells us these amazing things about Christ. And so as we dig into this book, it recenters us. And, and the reason I want us to be recentered. Like I said at the end of the sermon last week, is because as we celebrate this year, I want us to celebrate with great joy, with with great enthusiasm, with great generosity, and with great longing that one day this Lord and Savior that we celebrate will come again and we will be reunited with Him forever. So if you were here with us last week, you know the context of the book of Hebrews is that uh, this book was written to a a group of Jews and they were tempted uh, to leave the faith. They were tempted to return back to Judaism and turn away uh, from the Christian faith. And last week as we looked at the first three verses of the first chapter, really kind of what came out is the divinity of Christ, that Jesus is the Son of God. Jesus is God and what that meant for For God to speak to us through His Son. That His very Word became flesh. Today, the key for us 
is going to be not only was Jesus divine, but this divine, this member of the Godhead, God became human. And I want us to be careful here. Um, How many of you, this is an old movie and I'm not recommending it. I always hate to kind of reference movies because then you may want to go watch them. But how many of you have seen The Terminator? Sinners. Oh man, there are a lot of sinners in this room. (laughs) We're going to, just as I am and no. One of the things that I want to be sure to point out that Jesus is not like The Terminator in that the Terminator was an alien being that was a mechanical person who, or I'm sorry, I'm getting it all wrong, but you all can fix my Terminatorology later. But he wasn't really human, is the point. When he got hurt, or when his, at one point his flesh face was ripped off and it revealed a machine from the future who came back to save. There we go, right? I don't know if, there's this TV show that haunted me all throughout my childhood. I know when it came on, I don't know the name of it. Um, But on Saturday evenings, there was this, it was about these aliens. They were lizards. And V, there we go. Okay, thank you. Get a pen, V. No. But it haunted me. But these, so they were really these lizard beings that were in the appearance of humans Except every now and then their eyes would flash. And when they would go on the ship, they would turn back into aliens. And I think sometimes when we think of Jesus becoming man, we think in these type terms. terms. Not maybe exactly Arnold Schwarzenegger or lizard people. But you understand what I'm meaning. The concept of that you have this angelic, divine type being that was in skin but wasn't really human. And what we're going to see this morning is that the point of Christmas, the message that the author of the book of Hebrews gives us, and the message of the Bible, is that Jesus became fully human. And we're going to see four reasons why that is so vitally important. And what I want you to know, uh, and hopefully you're not saying this, but there may be some here that, are saying this morning, oh, a study about Jesus, you know, humdrum. What we believe about Jesus means everything. What we think about the person of Jesus Christ means everything. In fact, as we look at verse 14, before we get into actually what verse 14 means, I want you to see something and There's a little bit of a side note that I want to take right off the bat. But it says, Therefore, since the children share in flesh and blood, and he himself likewise also partook of the same, that through death he might render powerless. Notice this. Notice notice this. He might render powerless him who had the power over death. That is the devil. And one of the things I just want to start off with this morning is that I want to start off with you knowing and understanding that the devil, our adversary, is real. And he does have a power. We're going to get into that in in a moment. But the devil is real. And I want you to hear me as we go into our, as we still still are into introduction, going into our sermon this morning. What I want you to hear me saying is this. 
Sometimes we think of the tools of the devil or what the devil would want for you and this sort of thing is that he would want to just ruin your Christmas, you know, for you to find that the mice had gotten into the eggnog or the dogs had eaten the, the ham or whatever. But what I want you to know is that the devil is perfectly okay with this Christmas season, you having a really nice time with your family, with everybody kind of getting along for you to make much out of, out of the gifts that you have gotten one another. And for what you, the thoughts and the time that you spend about Jesus to be kept at a very minimal. You see, that's the whole work of the devil is to minimize who Jesus is. That he came to, that Satan exists to make less of Jesus. So this is why it's important. This is why it's important that as we look and we turn and pivot and celebrate Jesus coming as a man, that we make much of him. Now, I want you to think about one thing as we dive into our text. But I am going to go back to a text last week. In chapter 1, it says, In these last days he has spoken to us in his Son, whom he appointed, heir of all things, through whom... He made the world. That Jesus was there. He was co-creator. And what I want you to think about is the co-creator of the universe. The one who made all things, for whom and through whom all things were made, became flesh. That as He became a man, here's the creator of the universe, as He became a man, now all of a sudden there are times when Jesus was hungry. He made all things. And he came and was human and was hungry. He was tired. He was hurt. He experienced pain. And ultimately, ultimately he was killed. And so what I want you thinking this morning is why in the world did he become like us? Now, remember, and I know I've said this already, but we've got to keep in mind the original audience were these Jewish folks who were tempted to turn And so that's important because the book of Hebrews is filled with a lot of Old Testament imagery, Old Testament language, and so we're uh, going to go on a ride together this morning through some of that. But the first thing I want you to see, I'm going to give four reasons why Jesus had to become like us, had to become fully man, and the first one we see in verse 14. It says, Therefore, since the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise also partook of the same that through death he might render powerless him who had the power of death, that is, the devil. So the first thing that we see is he became man to die. And by dying, by dying, he defeated death and Satan. Now it's interesting, as you look at this verse, one of the things you should notice right off the bat is, um, as it says, therefore, since the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise also partook of the same. In our English translations, the whole idea of share, since the children share in flesh and blood, that word uh, is koinonia, it means the same, sharing with. And so you and I share in that we are the same. We are humans with flesh and blood. We were all born. (laughs) We all have a mother and a father. Jesus, in coming, 
It's a different word here. And the different word in the Greek, when it says he partook of, he took on something. He didn't share as we share. He came down and partook of something. He willfully took on something. We didn't willfully become human beings. You were born that way. I'm suspecting none of you are Terminator beings or lizard people. You would haunt my dreams if you were. We all, it just happened to us. Jesus partook of that. And notice the second thing here. He willfully partook of this in order to die. He willfully partook of this in order to die. Now, the original audience of this, uh, as it was written and as they were hearing this, a good Jewish person would completely understand what it meant for Jesus to take on flesh. And what it meant for Jesus to take on flesh is that He came under the curse. He came under the curse. Last week, as we were talking about uh, the writer of the book of Hebrews, and he, he, he puts the, the gospel in the context of gospel from the very beginning, from creation forward, and we know... We know that in the very beginning, God created man. And man was in perfect relationship and harmony with God. And then there was this slithering snake, this serpent. And we remember what the serpent did. God had made a commandment in chapter 2 of all the trees you should eat, but you can't eat of this certain tree because if you eat of this fruit, what would happen? You will surely And Satan comes and he tempts man and woman and they give in. And what happens then is that they are under the curse. And part of the curse is is that death becomes a reality. And Satan's reign in this rule, in this world, is unleashed. And the power that Satan has over us is the power of death. We will surely die. In fact, in Romans 3.23, it says, All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. But thankfully, even in the book of Genesis, even in the book of Genesis, when, this, when man and woman fell, it doesn't leave us there. We remember in Genesis chapter 3 that as God is speaking and as He's pronouncing this curse, what does He say to the woman? He says, There will be one of your seed who will crush the serpent's head. And what the writer of the book of Hebrews is telling us, this is the one that was prophesied from from a long time ago. And he had to become man because it had to be the seed of the woman, a human that crushed the serpent's head. And so you may ask, how did he crush Satan? How did he defeat death? And he did it by dying. He did it by dying. So Jesus had to become man because he had to die to defeat Satan. Listen to some of the verses previously in this chapter, verses 9, 10, and 11. I'm going to come back to these several times, but I want you to hear. But we see him who was made for a little while lower than the angels, namely Jesus, because of the suffering of death, crowned with glory and honor, so that by the grace of God he might taste death for everyone. You see that? 
that he might taste death for everyone. Verse 10, For it was fitting for him whom all things, and through whom all things, in bringing many sons to glory, to, perf- to perfect the author of their salvation through sufferings. Verse 11, For both he who sanctifies and those who are sanctified are all from one Father, for which reason he is not ashamed to call them brethren. So he tasted death for everyone. Through his suffering, many sons will come to glory. And notice verse 11. Verses 11. It is he who sanctifies. Now when we put all these verses together, this is where we get the idea and the truth that the way that Jesus defeated Satan by coming and dying is that he became our substitute. That we were hopeless and helpless in our sins. And there was nothing we could do to work our way back to God. In other words, there was nothing we could do to sanctify ourselves. That word sanctify means to become holy. We couldn't do it. And praise be to God that He came and He took on flesh and He died in our place. On the cross when He died, and you've heard me say this a hundred times and I'll hopefully say it a hundred thousand times more, that on that cross, when he died, my sin was put on him, and I get his righteousness. There's an exchange that takes place. There's an exchange that takes place. The sinless took on my sin. And all that I have to do, because as you're reading this, as you're reading this, you... You may get duped, I think, with an uncareful reading. You may get duped into a, a, an idea that, oh, what this verse means is that all human beings, all mankind, now gets to go to heaven because Jesus came. This universalism. But notice that's not what is said. Let's look at verse 14 and then work back again. It says, therefore the children share in the flesh and blood. Then if we go back and look at verses 10 and 11... Notice this. Notice the family language that we see in verse 14. In verse 10, it's, it's here again. For it was fitting for him who, for whom all things and through whom all things in bringing many sons to glory. In verse 11, for both he who sanctifies and those who are sanctified are all from one Father. By Jesus coming as a human being and dying on the cross, he made a way for us to be adopted into the family of God. So that if you believe, and if you, place your, if you believe in who Jesus is, and if you place your faith in the work that Jesus did on the cross, you are transferred out of the family of Adam, out of the family whose in destruction is death and hell, into the family of Christ, whose destiny is reunification with the Father forever. You see the folly of the original audience. So think about this. The writer is laying this out, that Jesus had to become man. He had to become man to defeat the devil. And notice the folly of the Jewish audience of turning back to Judaism is what they are saying is, I think I can do this on my own. I think I can get myself adopted into the family of God. I think that I can sanctify myself. 
And what he's telling them again is that you can't turn back. If you turn back, you've missed the point that Jesus came and he died for you to defeat Satan and his power. Now, the second thing that we see of why Jesus had to become man is in verse 15. And this is a natural... Uh, this is a natural conclusion. And, and might free those, might free those who through the fear of death were subject to slavery all their lives. And so what we see, another thing that Jesus becoming man accomplished is that it frees us from ultimate fear, which is death. How many of us um, spend a whole lot of time thinking about death? Thinking about death has plagued mankind from the very beginning. It is interesting, our culture has adopted this this whole idea of of nihilism, of of nothingness. It's really interesting, I looked for quotes about death, like secular quotes, and it was all about nothingness. That there's nothing on the other side, that you, um, you live and you die and you just don't exist anymore. This idea is not new. Socrates, uh, one of the quotes I found, obviously from a long time ago, but this is meant to provide comfort. And I think it's interesting that this is meant to provide comfort. To fear death, gentlemen, is no other than to think oneself wise when one is not. To think one knows knows what one does not know. No one knows whether death may not be the greatest of all blessings for a man. Yet men fear it as if they knew that is the greatest of evils. Does that provide any comfort to you? You have no idea what might be waiting for you on the other side. Oh joy. In fact, philosophers, there are many philosophers who um, sat around thinking so much about death and so much about nihilism, nothingness, that it actually drove them crazy and they had to be admitted into psychiatric facilities. This fear of death. I mean, think about it. Um, We spend, our culture spends so much time trying to help us numb our senses of death. I was thinking about this the other day. Um, And this stuff may be great, I don't know, but we have things called like ageless cream. It's supposed to help you to look young forever. I'm not against this, so don't, don't throw rocks at me, men. <laughs> but think about this. What good is it to look like you're 22 when you're 92? Some of you may be saying, well, no, but think, think past this world... What good is it to have the appearance of young age if you're heading into something that is horrific? You see, because Jesus came and defeated Satan and defeated death, we know that death is not an end, it is an entry. And we have many Bible verses to go along with this, and I just want to point out Two of my favorite. Uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 55 and 56. O death, 
where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting, the sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Again, in the book of Colossians, verse 13. For he rescued us from the domain of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his beloved son. And in the book of John, what does Jesus tell us in the book of John when he's talking to his disciples? He's like, I go to do what? To prepare a place. It's not the end, it's an entry. And so those who have placed their trust in Christ, because he came in the flesh, because of his work on the cross, we have no reason to fear death. I'm not saying that we have no reason to fear dying. That I understand that if, like several of the folks that we have, uh, even this year, we've lost some dear folks near and dear to us, and several of you, as you watched them die, some of it was not pleasant. The, the fear of dying, I, I get, and we'll talk about that in a moment. But the ultimate fear, fear of death, we have been rescued from. So, in Christmas, the coming of Jesus as a human, the devil has been defeated. His weapon is useless. You know the phrase, it's like bringing a knife to a gunfight? I think what Satan has against us, that, that's not even comparable. It's kind of like bringing a water balloon to a nuclear war doesn't even stand close and we need to stand on that now one of the things I do I, I want to I, I do just want to pause for a moment and, and rejoice in something that is tough I've heard many of you bring it up today and, and I do want to pause and it's tough but, but hear me out this is such great news we have several folks with us this morning who have lost loved ones you know, uh, we lost Neil this year and Richard, our sister Ina. And this is such great news because what we know is that this Christmas, their hope has been realized. Because of the work of Jesus, because of the work of Jesus, they are with our Savior in the presence of God. This is wonderful, great hope. I don't know if any of you... Uh, heard this story um, about the young girl who passed away in the church that was, was praying for her resurrection. And, and one of the things that as I've sat with some of you who have lost loved ones, one of the truths that you know is that bringing a loved one back from the dead is a, would be a pretty selfish ambition. There is nothing greater there is no greater celebration. There is no greater joy than what is happening. And who knows if they're together or not, but between Neil and Richard and Ina. This is our hope. Death has been defeated because Jesus came as a man. Thirdly, thirdly, and we're skipping a verse, but there was only so much time. But look at verse 17. Therefore, and notice this language, therefore, had to be made like his brethren in all things 
so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the things pertaining to God to make propitiation for the sins of, his, of the people. Now, one of the things, if you really want to understand the book of Hebrews, uh, you need to have open the book of Hebrews and the book of Leviticus side by side. Again, this was written to Jewish people, and so they would have immediately understood what's going on in context. And I want to give you the context here of, of, of high priest and what is going on. Now, we f- would find in the book of Leviticus, of chapter 16, there is a, uh, a thing that God was communicating to the Jewish people, and it was the Day of Atonement. And what would happen is that there was a specific person from a specific tribe who would be the high priest, and it was their job every year to help atone for, to ask God to atone for the sins of the people. And so the priest had a very important job, and if he didn't do his job right, what happened? He died. This is a reflection on the holiness of God, and so what would happen is the high priest would take a bull and two goats... And he would sacrifice the bull, and the sacrifice of the bull was, to, was for the atonement of his own sins. A sacrifice had to be made because the, the priest was a man, the priest sinned, and so there had to be a sacrifice so the priest could be clean. Because the priest had to be clean to enter into the Holy of Holies. In the temple, at this, depending on what time period in the tabernacle in the temple there were various rooms and there was a veil and a thick curtain that was meant as a symbol of the separation between man and God and in the holy of holies was the ark of the covenant was the place where the presence of God dwelt in in amazing ways and so the priest had to be clean to go in there and once this priest once he was clean would go into the Holy of Holies, would walk into this room with these two goats, and this is what would happen. He would have already cast lots. One goat, one goat would be killed. And the killing of that goat symbolized a sacrifice for our sins, for the sins of the people. Not ours, we weren't there. For the sins of the people. The other goat... Part of the blood from the sacrifice would be put on this goat, and then they would go out and they would release that goat. This was called the scapegoat. Some of you may say, hey, that's what I was growing up. That's a different subject, different time. But this scapegoat, what it symbolized was that the sins of the people being taken away. And this would happen year after year after year. So the writer of the book of Hebrews, when he says that Jesus had to come as a man had to, to become our great high priest, there is some wonderful, uh, wonderful news here. Jesus, coming and living a sinless life, became the perfect high priest. In order for him to go directly to God and present a sacrifice, he did not have to sacrifice for himself because he was sinless. He was holy. He was righteous. And not only that, 
But Jesus, being the perfect and righteous high priest, as He came to atone for the sins of the people, had the perfect sacrifice, which was Himself. So that Jesus on the cross, in sacrificing Himself to God, there was no other reason for any other sacrifice to be made. Stay with the imagery. Stay with the fulfillment of the imagery here. Not only were the sins atoned for, not only did Jesus die, but He rose from the grave, signifying that the sin that was put on Him was taken away. Was taken away. So that all those who have faith in Him and believe in Him have direct access to the Father through the blood of Jesus. There is no need for any other sacrifice. Our perfect and great high priest did it for us. In fact, when he was on the cross, what happened to that veil that separated man from God? It was torn in two. This is great reason for rejoicing. The Hebrews picks this theme up a little bit later, and I'm just going to read it Uh, just a section of it to us in chapter 9 verses 11 through 14 but when Christ appeared as a high priest of the good things to come he entered through the greater and the more perfect tabernacle not made with hands that is to say not of this creation and not through the blood of goats and calves but through his own blood he entered the holy place once for all having obtained eternal redemption For if the blood of goats and bulls and the ashes of heifers sprinkling those who have been defiled sanctify for the cleansing of the flesh, how much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit offered Himself without blemish to God, cleanse your conscience from dead works to serve the living God? What a Savior that we have. So he came as a man. He came as a man to defeat Satan and death. He came as a man to relieve us of our fear and the slavery to the fear of death. He came as a man to become our great and our wonderful high priest. As 1 Timothy 2, 5 through 1, there is one mediator between man and God, Jesus Christ. And fourthly, what I want us to hear this morning in verse 18 is that He became like us so that He could sympathize with us and so that He could come to our aid. For since He Himself was tempted in that which He has suffered, He is able to come to the aid to those who are tempted. Remember, this letter is written to this group of people who are being tempted. They're being tempted to walk away from a a view of Christ as the rightful Son of God, Creator who came in the flesh. They're being tempted because of persecution, because of fear of death, because of fear of being cast out. They're being tempted to give all that up. And what this writer is telling us is that Jesus knows temptation. He knows temptation because he's... He didn't come as this aloof, angelic being 
to come and save us. He came like us and He knows hurt and He knows pain. Romans chapter 8 tells us that we have a high priest that can sympathize with us and He is interceding for us at the right hand of God. And so I don't know where you are this morning. I don't know if there's any temptation in your heart and in your soul to not make much of Jesus, but to abandon certain things and to look to other things to fulfill who you are and to provide comfort to your soul. But I want to ask you to consider something this morning that this this book asks us to consider. All throughout the book of Hebrews, the writer of the book of Hebrews is telling you to look. And he's telling you to look in two places. He's, he's often telling you to, to look back. To look back at these things that have happened. And he's also telling us to look ahead. <laughs> look back to the finished work of Christ on the cross. Know who this Jesus is and what he has done for you. Let that fill your heart and your soul with gladness. Take courage that we have a high priest like Jesus Christ who has accomplished this work for us, who has defeated Satan. Let us also look forward to our hope. Let us look forward and let us, as as this book says in chapter 12, to bind our old knees and walk straight in those paths. Look forward to what God has accomplished and where you are headed. It's interesting to me that he's speaking here to a group that's making a shipwreck of their faith. Notice in the beginning of this chapter, it says, For this reason we must pay closer attention to what we have heard so that we do not drift away from it. For if the word spoken through angels proved unalterable and every transgression and disobedience received a just penalty, how will we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? After it was at the first spoken through the Lord, it was confirmed by those who heard. Notice in in chapter 2, verse 1, this is our first warning passage, and it says, For this reason we must pay closer attention to what we have heard, so so that we do not drift from it. What Jesus is not saying to these people who are tempted to drift, He's not saying, Oh, hear, hear, I understand. That's not what He's saying. He is speaking loudly and boldly. And like we said last week, what he is saying is, where else would you go? Are you going to return to dead works? So what I want to end with this morning is this. I want to end by asking the question that Jesus... The Holy Spirit is asking these Jews to consider. And He's asking them this. What is it that you're fearing? 
What is it that you're fearing? Do you fear what man might be able to do with you? Or are you fearing rightly a life without Christ? What if He had not come? We would still be in our sins. We would still be under the curse. There would be reason to fear. We would be stuck in that fear. And we would be without help. And we would be left on our own, desperately trying to atone for our own sins. What a horrific place. But thanks be to God, He did not leave us there. So I want to end kind of where we began and talk about, just a second, about the tragedy that I think that we get into sometimes. And I want to ask us if we can begin to confess rightly, potentially, what happens in all of us, which is a sin of apathy. Our hearts grow full on delicacies that can only lead to our destruction. Things of this world, when we have available the feast of our Lord, who bids us over and over in the text to come and drink. Come and be full. In Him is where we find food and drink that will fill us and fit us for eternity. So brothers and sisters, let us not be lured away from the joy and the hope and the salvation that can only be found in Him who became like us in order to rescue us from the grips of the devil. This time of year, I think, tempts us in a unique way to go to the way of the world. But brothers and sisters, I pray. I pray that as we push forward into this holiday season, that we think of Jesus. And we think high thoughts of Jesus. And we think rightly about Jesus. And we worship Him this Christmas season. Let's pray.